When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, I recap and reflect on my recently completed prairie hunting trip with my good friend Ted. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 191. All right, welcome back to the Bird Shop Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We've got a great show for you today with my friend Ted Summer. He's been on the show before. We just got back from our prairie hunting trip along with two of our other good friends, Mike and Garrett, and we had an awesome time this year, as always. But this year in particular, we were out there for the better part of a week, had overall great hunting and weather conditions, and some really memorable moments along with ups and downs, which Ted and I will get into today. We're going to get into that very quickly. But thank you to Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. As always, I appreciate your continued support. Last month's winner of the Patreon giveaway, Gray from Texas, did opt for the Final Rise Vest. So if you've been following along, you'll know that leaves for this month's giveaway an Onyx Hunt Elite subscription card or a new pair of brush pants from First Light, the Sawbuck Brush Pants. Winner's choice. All Patreon contributors are eligible. Sign up by the end of the month and you could be eligible for that too. You also get bonus content when that's available, exclusive discounts like the ones we have for Gumleaf USA and Upland Institute. And all Patreon contributors get a little welcome package of some Birdshot Podcast stickers and can coolers, which come in real handy on hot days on the prairie. Did some field testing last week. So, patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for considering that. Please don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, you can always rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. Leave a rating or a comment or a review in the podcast app you're listening on. Subscribe or follow the show 
little things. Just take a moment of your time and they are very helpful to the Birdshot podcast. So thank you for considering that as well. All right. As I mentioned, I'm back from my first hunting trip of the year. And just this evening, it's kind of late. It's about nine o'clock tonight. Got to get this intro done and published for you all tomorrow morning. I went out grouse hunting for the first time tonight. Well, I did go for 20 minutes on opening day last Saturday, had my son with me and it was a little ceremonial opening day walk for about 20, 25 minutes. And it was humid, hot, buggy. And that's all we lasted before my son Hunter was ready to be done with it. We did not see any birds, although we did hear, I think at least two birds drumming. So I was pretty hopeful for those 20 minutes, but it came to an end shortly thereafter. But I did sneak out tonight for my first solo run, got each of the dogs down for close to an hour, ultimately had one bird contact for each dog and really not even a prayer of a shot. It is incredibly thick out there. I would say it's pretty much full foliage still. We have not had the kind of weather we need to start knocking down some of the weeds and grass and vegetation. It is really thick out there, although we do have some cooler temps now. So we'll see what happens if we can get some frost. We got to knock some of that stuff down. The hazel brush has turned a little bit yellow. Starting to see the changes, but it's still very green, very thick. I will say I've heard some pretty favorable reports over the past week, but small sample size, just getting started. Really hard to see what's going on out in the woods yet. At least for me, I have not spent enough time out there to have any clue one way or the other. So got the dogs on some birds tonight. Felt good to get back out in the woods and October is right around the corner. There are places, however, that are not so incredibly thick and choked with vegetation like the short grass prairies of the West, where I spent the previous week hunting with three other friends. We've kind of made this thing an annual trip for the past five years. We haven't always gone all together over the same dates, but we've pretty much crossed paths out there most years. And the four of us hunt rough grouse and woodcock here in Minnesota and Wisconsin avidly, and we keep in touch year-round and really have just developed a pretty close friendship over the past handful of years going back to uh, 2016 or 17 or so. Anyways, Ted Summer has been on the show before. We talked primarily sharp tail hunting when he was on the show a couple of years ago. So he graciously accepted my invitation to join me again on the show right after the trip to continue the breakdown, reaction, and reflection of some of the things we saw out there. We talk a little bit about the habitat differences we've seen from year to year, some sharp tail hunting tips and tactics that we've picked up over our trips out there. And eventually we get into some hunt recapping and really storytelling something that our group tends to do a lot of. We love meeting up after the hunt, sitting around the tailgates and kind of breaking down play-by-play, bird contacts, dog work, shooting, ups and downs, all that sort of stuff. We have a lot of fun with it, and it's a really enjoyable way to kind of cement some of these memories in our minds. And nobody's really taking notes or anything, but we also learn a lot from each other by going over things in detail and sharing thoughts and having a few laughs over it. So it's something we really enjoy. And again, this is a long episode. Actually, Ted and I did it over two days. We got interrupted a couple times. So you might notice a few slight breaks or changes in here. I cleaned it up for the most part. But anyways, long episode. The last half to close to two-thirds of it are some pretty detailed hunt recaps and, and me talking about some shooting struggles and some other stuff. And I hope you all enjoy it. If you have any thoughts on that kind of conversation and hunt breakdown and recap, please feel free to share those with me. I'd love to hear your feedback and whether or not you enjoy hearing stuff like that on the podcast. I know Ted and I certainly enjoyed ourselves talking about the hunts that we had, and I hope you'll share a few laughs and maybe pick up a thing or two for your next hunt. So without further ado, 
Let's welcome into the conversation and back to the Birdshot Podcast, Ted Summer. Welcome back to the podcast, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm feeling, <laughs> I would like to say I'm feeling very rested, but as you know, I got kind of that bum ankle as a leftover, <sighs> leftover from that trip. A remnant from our hunting trip. How is the ankle feeling? Uh, tight is the, <laughs> is the term I'll use. Man, it's getting pretty puffy, but all um, self-inflicted, of course, just something to remember. I'm still going to be out there in the grouse woods. It's just going to be a little tender for next several weeks, I'm sure. Any clicks or pops when walking, sir? Uh, no, just <laughs> just general lack of uh, dexterity, you know. Mobility. Yeah, not yeah. a lot of rotation, mostly just forward and back movement happening. Well, do you want to lead off the show with what not to do on the, on the trip and tell the story about the ankle? <laughs> um. <laughs> well, and when you wear, I wear boots about ninety percent of my time both at work and playing and slipped on my very basic pair of tennis shoes to prep for the drive home after walking around on the prairie all week ah jumped off the truck tire after closing the truck top like a cargo bin on top of the truck literally the last thing we were doing before driving back and um not one other thing to do except for jump down start the truck and just start driving home and I looked down jumped into the grass and there was like a volleyball sized rock which was completely covered with grass and yeah twisted my ankle pretty seriously Ouch. right right then rolled around on the ground said a bunch of swear words which didn't make it better <laughs> <laughs> and luckily uh you know we were it was really hopeful we weren't going to be making a hospital visit but anyway didn't help the you know, 12 hour drive home. So yeah, that's, that's a tough, tough way to end on, but man, otherwise we had a, we had a pretty good week out West, didn't we? Yeah, it was, it was a good trip. Um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a slam dunk like every day, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, we were into birds plenty, but not, it wasn't automatic, which always makes it feel better when you got to work a little bit to figure out some patterns and, Hard to beat spending good quality time with friends and dogs and being exhausted at the end of the day and get up and do it again the next day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely an awesome way to kick off the 2022 hunting season. We're going to talk plenty about the sharp tail hunting trip that both Ted and I were on last week, but I do want to briefly hear about your opening day rough grouse hunt. So this would have been the day after you got home, basically at what, 3 a.m. And uh, that was rough grouse opener in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And even with the, the ankle slowing you down, you got out, you got the boys out and a nephew, I believe. Yeah, that's right. They've got a nephew, AJ. He's 15, has been dabbling with some upland hunting. He's quite a shot, actually. Um, pretty coordinated kid for how fast he's growing he's about six two pretty Jeez. lanky yeah. yeah and he's he's expressed you know every time we've gone bird hunting you know he just talks about how much fun it is and you know to do something other than sit in a tree stand and do that kind of hunting so 
but yeah, he's getting busier and busier and busier. So I was down doing some family stuff and was planning to get the boys out. And I had picked up a, I had picked up a vest for him from, from our buddy, Matt Davis. Um, I think the legacy or the basic vest he sells. And yep. I had picked it up a while back and just hadn't had a good opportunity to, I wanted to do some shooting with him this summer. Um, and it just didn't work out. So there I was at their house and AJ was there kind of killing time resting after playing football Friday night. And I said, well, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm not doing anything till later. We're going to have a bonfire and stuff. And I said, well, let's go bird hunt. So <laughs> we took a hour walk or so after giving him the vest and he was pretty excited about it. And, and, uh, yeah, we didn't, didn't get shots at any birds, but Tika worked pretty hard for us. Man, was that a totally different walk after being on the prairie? We hunted for <laughs> just under an hour, you know, and I never saw her once. I just hear her bell going around after spending all week where you see the dog nearly the entire time. But, yeah. So no shots for AJ on his first hunt of the year, but I had my boys walking along as, with as well. So it's always a good time. Those guys, I tell you what, but taking kids hunting, I don't know what it is about about it, but they talk nonstop, you know, and, <laughs> and about everything under the sun, yep. you know, not, some about what we're seeing out there, some about, you know, deer tracks and buck rubs and stuff, but I don't know what it is. They just, it's a free, it's a free flowing conversation. And it's usually when I'm trying to listen real hard for, you know, the dog on point and stuff like that. And, but it's, uh, it's always rewarding. AJ's proven to be a pretty good shot. They've got a black lab that my brother-in-law gets him out hunting. They've got some family land up north, and he's shot several birds on the wing off of, uh, you know, flushed birds. And so I think he's getting the fever. I'm just going to try and nurse it along as best as I can um, throughout the fall, take opportunities when they arise. So, yeah, it was it was a good walk, good opener. Hopefully we can keep it going here. Yep, we're just getting started. I know it was, uh, was it, it was, it was warm. It was here, it was, on opening day, it was foggy foggy and kind of misty and very wet all day what was it just basically warm and humid down by you yeah it was it was humid warm but it got pretty breezy so the Mm. humidity kind of blew off but i thought about an area that i had moved birds in before it's kind of a little bit older cover so a little more open hoping we could actually see a bird but once we got going in there i we didn't push it too hard we were everybody was sweating and yeah tika's tongue was hanging so we just didn't get into what I would call the best stuff, but there was it was plenty thick, so we just turned around, walked out, and threw a couple corn cobs for AJ to shoot at. So we had a little, got the uh, gun mount going for nice. him, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. salvage yeah. the day. Yeah, yeah. I was as we kind of alluded to. We got home. Well, you got home about midnight Friday. You were a little little later. You had further to go, but the next day was opener, and I wasn't real motivated to get out hunting on opening day after spending the previous six seven days out hunting sharp tails but by the time the afternoon rolled around i was kind of you know we my wife had some errands to run and she was going to take our youngest son jack and so i thought well might as well go drive around a little bit so i took hunter out and my my older son and i had parked on this real nice little forest road that it forks so i thought best case scenario we park here i can take hunter and one dog down one spur for a little bit and then the other dog down the other spur 
for a little bit and I, and Hunter had his bike and his earmuffs and everything. And we just, we put Hartley down and we got to rolling and it had a, I mean, it had an interesting feel. Like I, I felt, I felt really good about, well, I guess I should rewind right when I stepped out of the truck, I heard a grouse drumming. So that's always a good sign. Oh, yeah. And I think I, I think I had heard two or three grouse drumming, which something I heard from somebody else. He said he heard drumming everywhere. And I've heard that a couple times already in this short time that the season has been open. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've been getting any reports, but it sounds like a lot of people saw a good number of birds, even despite the thick foliage and stuff. And I was wondering if maybe that was, you know, it was so wet and rain, kind of rainy, misty. Sometimes the birds will come out to the roads, kind of get pushed out to dry off and stuff. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But, yeah, anyways, we we didn't see any birds, but we had we had a nice little walk. About 20 minutes or so, Hunter was doing great, cruising on his little Strider bike. And I got to one log landing at the base of this new clear cut, and there was some big cedar trees, a little opening, some raspberry bushes in there. And I kind of was like slowly walking around that thinking, all right, this is going to be my, I'm going to get one opportunity today and this is going to be it. But we, we did not. And by the time we made it back to the truck on that first spur, the bugs and humidity had annoyed Hunter to the point that the second, the second spur was not going to be a reality that day. So that was my opening day, about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. That's hard to beat though. I mean, yes. It's hard to hold a hold a four year old's attention long enough to think you're gonna. I always wonder that. I'm like, okay, the dog goes on point now, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the trail is nice, and of course I throw them on my back or carry them, or you know, they end up walking through the cover and we get there. But yeah, there's some there's some better days coming. It's just nice yeah. to get out with them. So that's yeah. cool that you're getting Hunter out, you know, right away, kind of get his mind wrapped around it's hunting season, and hopefully you guys can get out some more. Yep, definitely. So yeah, plenty to come on on rough grouse season, and again, I, I'm hearing some some pretty good reports from a very small sample size. You know, the season's only been open for three days now, but yeah, um, on that drumming on that drumming thing, yeah. you know, like when you talk about birds drying out, I don't know that that's that much of an issue. But I mean, when you hear a lot of drumming this time of year, that's usually a pretty good sign. You've got you know multiple males around distribution usually doesn't happen but if they had early broods you know i mean some of those birds can be drumming already right so. trying to set up shop and yeah yeah that's certainly the story i was kind of telling myself in my head at least yeah hopefully yep. well let's let's transition into the western swing sharp tail grouse hunt now this is so my first hunt out west was 2018. So 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. This is this is my fifth season. Is that kind of the same for you? I think you had hunted them a little bit before, or you had been in sharptail country. Yeah, I was thinking about it. 2009 was the first dedicated time that I spent looking for prairie birds, which was in combination with uh, pheasant hunt. So it was only a day or two, partial days after finishing up the limit of pheasants and so it's been a while 13 years and there's been a couple years i haven't gone but i think in one year i went twice um oh no two different times i went twice so took advantage of you know split seasons to go a couple times so all told i think it was the 10th 10th hunt you know sharp tail hunt or prairie grouse hunt that i've been on so yeah the time goes pretty quick it of course, driving back on a long drive from a hunt, you kind of reminisce a bunch and start remembering old dogs and how you got going doing something and what you learned along the way. And 
do you really learn anything or are we just getting lucky every once in a while? But it's like, there's always something to take away from the trips. And, um, yeah, once you've done it now, Nick, five times, I mean, I know you're always curious mindset asking me, well, what do you think about this or that? But I mean, you know, just as much as anybody does now about that region, you know, typical region that we've been going to. So, yeah, it's been like definitely past the point of that, you know, that first year where you just kind of like, the first year is almost like you just accept that you don't know anything. So you're not, you're not too concerned about it. Then maybe, maybe year two and three, you're kind of like, ah, you know, I've been out here before I've done this. That's when you, but you still have a lot of questions, right? So that's when you can kind of, you can get in your head about stuff. And now, yeah, definitely. This was a great trip because my last two have been a little shorter, maybe three, four, five day hunts. Whereas this was closer to six or seven. Um, and we just had, I mean, I don't know if you've experienced any better but that that was like some of the best weather we could have i mean we had a couple hot days early which you're gonna get that in september but then we had clouds roll in and we had basically four days of like all day hunt conditions which i don't think is you know i wouldn't anticipate that every year no i i agree the i guess when looking at hunt planning you know the flex maintaining flexibility with working around weather like we talked about prior to going out there, I know Garrett mentioned, he's like, how flexible are you guys? And I didn't really have as much flexibility this year. So I'm glad the weather worked out great. But, you know, you take a week-long stretch, and I don't care what region you're in, but this time of year, you can kind of figure you're going to have two days of challenging weather. I always, if you're going to, if you have two days where you don't get to hunt all day or don't have the opportunity to hunt all day because of heat, I would think would be pretty standard. And if it gets to be more than half the trip where you can only hunt part of the day, that gets to be a real bummer, you know? So, yeah. but yeah, that was, it was fantastic. I love those cool blustery days that I don't mind a lot of wind. And we had, we had some days that were real windy, but cool. And man, the dogs aren't asking for water much. And I'm not asking for water much yeah. and my all I do is just keep putting some uh chapstick on and keep walking, you know. Yep. That lack of obviously the, you know, sunlight makes a big difference and you'll you notice that right away when you just just sitting out in the sun versus grabbing some shade. It's it's for guys that live in the trees most of the year. It's <laughs> I like I sure appreciate the shade when you can find it out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we definitely we had the one real hot day where we knew we were going to we knew it was going to be hot by, you know, midday. So you try and we made a point of not staying up terribly late. We stayed up plenty late, but got going early and we were, you know, rolling out to go find a spot to hunt as it was getting before the sun was coming up. So, I mean, just got to be cognizant about that and make decisions. It, it can be a real, you know, you can have a maybe one one walk with a dog that's learning and developing. If you can save an hour by being proactive in bad or, you know, hot weather, man, it can make a real difference for a young dog or, you know, toward your satisfaction of your hunt. So not feeling like you've got a wasted day. So I'm glad you guys were on board with that. You know, some people like to stay up real late and maybe have a big breakfast in the morning, but I'm glad you guys were willing to, you know, put the hammer down to get going right away in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you guys set a good, you and Mike set a good example in that regard. <laughs> I think, you know, again, it's like first hunt of the year. So you're kind of, you got to find the rhythm, get in the groove a little bit, but we're all, the four of us that were out there are all pretty, you know, pretty close in mentality as far as like, you know, maximizing the day and getting out there and getting after it. And especially if, if it is going to be hot and you know, you're going to have downtime in the afternoon, you got to take advantage of the morning and, 
man, those, those mornings when it's, when it's going to be a hot day and you get out there in the morning and the sun's up and it's, you know, it's super comfortable. Like that's what better time to be out there and see the sunlight washing over the, you know, landscape that's unfolding in front of you. It's, it's pretty odd. We got a little bit of, a little bit of everything and it was, it was just all, all in. It was an awesome, awesome week out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had to uh we just had to make sure we got Garrett out of bed. I I don't know what he was he was a little I know he's gonna listen to this and this is just gonna spur more conversation. So <laughs> Yeah, he was giving us crap one morning for setting our alarms a little early and then sitting around the the table drinking coffee game planning, but <laughs> I guess the, the, the coffee table is right by his bedroom, so <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it was it was all fun. Um that's pretty pretty interesting segue though if you want to dive into that but like time of day you know getting out that's exactly where i wanted to go yeah yeah getting out super early we learned a little bit you know i would say typically on a normal day you're we're driving around a little bit looking always doing some scouting and unless you've got a a long list of slam dunk spots that you know you're going to go to you always got to be driving around looking at stuff so Typically, we'd do that and then not be hunting till maybe eight thirty, nine o'clock. You know, our buddy Tyler out there, mm-hmm. he likes to say, you know, he stays up plenty late and doesn't get up until 9 and a lot of times isn't hunting till 10. So, But you and I both know he's got a laundry list of spots 100 deep, you know, so it's like yep. I always feel like you got to be learning. And So we were hitting the ground a little bit earlier than than typical, including the first morning that Mike and I, we drove through the night and went to a familiar area just to kind of start the season off right. And same thing, we got out there at like three o'clock in the morning and and uh, pulled up to a spot in the dark and just were hoping it was similar to what it looked like a couple of years ago when we were there. And Slept on the ground under the stars, I might add. Yeah, that was the full moon night <laughs> right before North Dakota opener and uh, pulled in and just kind of looked at each other and said, well, there wasn't much dew. It was not a, you know, it wasn't a damp night. Yeah, just threw a bedroll down and I shoved my little short hair in my the bottom of my sleeping bag and wool blanket over and sat there and listened to the coyotes howl at night and got up and we were had a little coffee and started hunting early because it was going to be in the 80s, you know, by early afternoon. So, and what we experienced was the birds were, I think the birds are, you know, obviously pretty active in the morning. Um, they feed pretty heavily at, I would say, diurnally, you know, like right at daybreak mm-hmm. and in the evening, you know, you'll see them make sometimes making big movements to a particular food source. If they're adjacent to egg, you're kind of anticipating that movement back and forth from the egg to the loafing cover if there's big uh, pasture nearby or long grass, but I shouldn't say long grass, but like grassy hillsides. And then I don't know, this time of year, I don't think they leave the crop a lot if they don't need to, because there was about, there was much more standing crop this year yep. than there has been in past years. So, and it was much more greener, or much more green, I should say. And so we were talking about that on the drive out, like we knew it was going to be a little greener. We knew there was more crop on. And uh, our typical approach is to hunt more of the pasture lands, you know, look for big terrain high rolling hills but then we were wondering about this crop situation and maybe focusing a little bit more adjacent to the standing crops just because the birds didn't necessarily need to fly back and forth they probably were just walking and loafing near the crops but I don't know if that turned out to be true or not you know we ended up kind of hunting the stuff we 
typically go toward, which would be higher elevation. Shoot. Lost him. Slept under the stars. And this is where Nick will cut it together. But yeah. uh, so we would typically look for higher elevation pasture or natural prairie, you know, with a mix of short grass and lower, thicker cover than your typical pheasant grass, right? We know we've already established like that's different habitat type. We're very rarely looking for that knee-high kind of wavy grass, more looking for the short prairie grass or pasture that has rose hips and snowberry and some of the other uh, prairie shrubs that Nick, who uh, is exploring all technology all the time to improve his hunting, (laughs) had to seek had the seek app going and was identifying. I think it was when you guys weren't getting into birds. You guys were doing a lot of learning about plants. <laughs> we you know? were, yeah. We had some downtime. <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, you know, that's typically what we're targeting. And so what we, this trip was much greener than I've ever hunted. Yeah. Um, some of the hunts I've been on have been like in November and October. I'd say five or six of them have been early like this. And this is by far the greenest it's been. And it was also contrasted with last year which was the the drought year and i don't i don't know where the the region is at with like Mm -hmm. relative long-term drought but last year it was harder to find good grass because there was more grazing and just less cover and so this year it was kind of you know on the other end of the spectrum where there was just lots of pretty good quality grass around right exactly and so with everything looking a little bit I'm using air quotes when I say better, which is a relative term. Better meaning like, you know, stuff wasn't super bone dry. And uh, so you had to to fine tune your eyeball a little bit when looking at the hillsides from a distance or with binoculars or even just doing quick drive-bys to say, boy, that looks good. And then all of a sudden you really start breaking it down. You're like, well, wait a second. Is that, is that grass, you know, is the color that you're seeing out there on the slopes a function of, the you know lack of dryness or is it more a function of that that's the right mix of plants that we're mm-hmm. looking for so so we we admitted like the first day we're like well this is going to be a little chance you know it's going to take us a couple days to kind of get in a rhythm of where the birds are so but on the first the first walks of the day when we got out early we definitely experienced birds that we felt like were moving you know they were in transit they were out actively feeding kind of up on higher bare ground sometimes and resulted in a little bit more of a challenge to get good dog work on. Not necessarily good dog work, but get ourselves close enough to. In position, yeah. Yeah, the dogs pointed birds a lot, and you'll hear this a hundred times if you talk to a hundred sharp-tail hunters, is that, boy, they they were getting up way out in front of us. And I think the time of day you hunt can have a lot to do with that. And these birds were definitely out and about feeding, and certainly had their heads up a little more than typical, I'm sure. So uh, we still got on birds. We still had good dog work, but it was just something we noticed, you know. And then the first few areas we drove through, we also really noticed that there was uh, a lot more grasshoppers around than other years. Yeah. Um, you know, you haven't had those cold snaps yet that kind of kill off the grasshoppers. So there was a lot of hoppers around, which that can result, in my opinion, can result in more widely distributed birds. They can be pretty much anywhere. Kind of feeding anywhere, yeah. Yeah, because the grasshoppers are eating 
vegetation, you know, and they're spread across the landscape all over the place. And every once in a while, you can find areas that have a lot of grasshoppers, and it's no it's no accident that you find a lot of broods or groups of sharp tails around there. Because you know, when the when the hoppers are thick, and you shoot a sharp tail and you open up its crop, nine times out of ten, it's going to be just loaded with grasshoppers. You know. Yeah, and I would say I'd be curious if you would agree, but I would say far and away, like all the crops I checked and unloaded this week, I mean, grasshoppers were like by far the leading leading thing you found in there. I mean, a few snowberries, a few rose hips, but basically all grasshoppers. Yeah, I thought it was interesting later in the week, you know, we from the first few spots we hunted to where we were hunting, you know, we moved I don't know if that as a crow flies maybe 70 80 miles you know mm-hmm. a couple hours drive between some of the spots we hunted and i do think there was a, a difference some of the further north covers we hunted less hoppers less hoppers and i think they just experienced a little bit cooler weather maybe just in that little bit of a geographic shift and to me that was indicative because of um, or the the crops coming off were indicative of that as well there was more crops um, coming off the further north we were, yeah. you know, the, the further north covers. So so if you have a cool weather stretch in the evenings that killed a bunch of hoppers, that can be a real flip that switches for the, for the young sharptail broods, especially. They'll, you know, they'll move away from that, and then you'll find them much more condensed, like in that snowberry. And I believe your app, you know, we, we, slang term russian or uh, olives but uh i think you took the correct term would be silverberry right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah we found i i identified russian olive which was more of a taller shrub and you could see the olives on there but then there's more there's like little in in the sharptail grass you end up in a lot you'll see these vertical stemmy structure things that are about maybe hip high you know they can get fairly tall that kind of have that same sagey faded green look, but the app identified those as silverberry. So um, I'm not sure if they're related. I'll have to do some digging on that, but definitely, definitely very confident on Western snowberry, which I had some questions on leading into this season. And then you've got your, you got your rose hips and a few other things, but yeah. And it was pretty entertaining. I, I will say I started to look forward to, uh, our post hunt debriefings to hear you talk about all the plants you've been identifying. It was, it was kind of comical. You know, we, we always do that. We stop and chat and catch up on what's going on. And for you to have the rundown, every hunt you were on about, well, this plant is this, and this plant is that it was pretty <laughs> both entertaining and educational. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that seek app that you mentioned that I was using was also it can identify insects and critters and yeah, we were, we were having some fun with that. And I know, I know you stepped away there, but you're good. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Just... We ident- identified uh, salamanders and spiders and hoppers, insects and plants. It's, I, I saw that app uh, recommended by a hunting. It was on one of the hunting public videos and I used it a lot on this trip. It, yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. You mentioned those salamanders. That was pretty cool. You know, we had a, I don't know exactly when the last time they had rain out there prior to us being there, but that little bit of rain came out, just not much. You're talking like a trace amount. Yeah. 
And for some reason that brought the salamanders out and they were crawling all over the road, all over any, any surface or hard surface they were. That was unusual. Yeah. It was what I'd call like an eruption. All of a sudden they were like, boom, they were there and then they were gone just as quick. Yeah. So <laughs> must, must've been something triggered with the rain. I'm sure someone that's listening knows more about it. But. Right. You know, the other thing I, re- I remember from, so you guys hunted day one, Garrett and I, that was a travel day for us. So we were of course eager to hear the report and stuff. And at the end of day one, you guys had relocated, you were driving around scouting and like, one of the things that kind of kept coming up, you're like, boy, that's like a lot of this stuff is too thick. It, it seems too thick. And I think that's indicative of the last couple of years we were out there. We just haven't had a ton of places that are, you know, that really, really thick carpet like grass all over. But that was, that was a little bit different this year. I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. It, and like I said, we, we kind of knew, I talked about trying to get your eye programmed to whatever logarithm is going through your brain to recognize what you're looking for. Uh, in the past, you know, there was a, definitely a certain look to the landscape. When you looked at a hill that was a mile away, you could see patches of snowberry uh, because of that green look and completely yellow grass around them. Yep. Well, this time you had to, you had to get your eye right about the fact that everything was green and you just had to realize the different tones of green within that kind of that hillside and start to pick it apart a little more but yeah i would say definitely some of the stuff we walked in the past it would have been on the thicker side of anything we moved birds in but um you know like i said we were just two three weeks ahead probably of cooler weather so or drier weather than they've experienced before but yeah and then one of the things that happens when you get that you know there are we've we've had this conversation before i don't know about it on the podcast but like you know do you want to be in do you want to be in that thick carpet-like pasture all over, or do you want to be in a place that has some more grazing, maybe has some thin bare spots, because then those pockets of snowberry and grass kind of really stand out and are potentially concentrating the birds. I think we all, we had enough bird contacts this week to all have examples of tight holding sharptails where maybe, mm-hmm. the, maybe the dog cuts by it once and then on the way back gets it in point points it and you see that happen and you kind of realize like wow all i would have had to do was you know take 10 steps to the right and we're moving on and we never we never see those sharp tails i mean they can hold really tight and you they can disappear in that stuff yeah it's that's for sure i think i think they were a little more comfortable being out they weren't the limiting factor wasn't covered yes like it has been in other years yeah the limiting factor this year was probably just maybe a little bit wind on the windier days, you know, that was a for sure pattern with some depressions um, on higher elevations. That seemed to be a a winning pattern on the windy days, but it definitely wasn't a factor of the fact that they felt like they were going to be exposed out in the open because they could be pretty much anywhere. So that was noticeable early in the mornings because they definitely were out on those exposed slopes. And I, I, I think they were after, you know, the, the, the rose, um, rose bushes or rose hips that grow on kind of the bare hilltops. Yep. And you may come over a rise or the dog is swinging out and goes over a rise and the, and the, the Sharpies that were out there early with a group and maybe two or three of them with their head up, see the dog coming and they were popping off the top of the hill, you know, the next hill up because they were out there in that stuff. Whereas in past years, 
because it was so dry and exposed, they probably wouldn't even be out there at all, you know, because it was just like concrete. So, yeah, I think it's important to make those, try and make those connections right away. And I think I felt like we adjusted pretty quickly to that to realize, you know, there wasn't going to be like one certain pattern that is going to last throughout the whole week. So we made that adjustment pretty fast on the first walk. We moved a few birds, but like we've said, we didn't get on them right away. I shot one with Fitz off a, hit the first walk with a really nicely handled bird, but I only had two or three contacts there. And uh, then Mike got into some, you know, we kind of were switching up. We're like, okay, we're not into birds. Let's make a beeline out of here and hit some little bit thinner cover maybe or um, a little more heavily pastured. And he got into a group of birds and you know shot a couple I know right away. But it took me a couple walks there. I had to get, had to drive around a little bit and found some stuff that just looked just right. And, and like you said, in pastures would have been thick. But as soon as you started recognizing it, I mean, it took a, my third stop and, and put the little short hair down. And, you know, kind of the first likely looking area with the right kind of terrain coming together. It started to feel pretty natural. And sure enough, she went on point right there. And I only needed one bird and got that one. But it was a group of like 15, you know, that went up at once and just that little bit of, I wouldn't even call it a struggle, but just, you know, you had to make two walks and not big long walks because we pulled the plug on them because it just, we weren't moving birds. And then we made one little move and said, that looks really good. And sure enough, they were in there. And then we kind of repeated that pattern pretty steady over the next week. Yeah. There was opportunity to be had out there. And yeah, like, like you said, the, the cover was there. So then it was, it was a different kind of, you know, you're always sort of high grading, I guess, looking for the, the best of the best. And then sometimes you got to make do and, and just put boots on the ground somewhere. But, but this year, like you could find cover in a lot of places. So then we were, we started getting into that, you know, all right, does this piece actually have the diversity? Do you have the snowberry? Do you have the yellow straw like grass up on the tops? Do you have the rose hips in there? And then, Oh, are you kicking up hoppers? And, when we found like the right combination of that stuff and then the topography as well. Um, that's something that, I mean, I think it comes up plenty with sharp tails. It's certainly something I started to key in on after really hunting with you that first year. That's makes a big deal. And you mentioned those bulls getting out, getting out of the wind. They're going to, if you find, if you have a place where you have that topography and you have those bulls where they can sit up a little high and get out of the wind, boy, we found enough sharp tails and stuff like that to, to really have a high level of confidence in, in hunting that kind of topography. I thought. Yeah. It's easy to keep walking and you know, the confidence of course is the key to any kind of hunting or any, any, anything that you're doing really you got to be confident in what you're doing and say you get a you know three quarters of a mile deep on a section and you're kind of wondering what the heck are we doing here i mean that energy that goes through you the dogs absorb that stuff and it's real easy to second guess yourself yeah. but when you know you generally speaking when you know you're kind of climbing an elevation and there's always something more to see over the next ridge and eventually getting the when you get up high enough and you can see that oh yeah there's a bunch of hidden pockets on top of this ridge or there's a big flat area that with a bunch of saddles or something like that yep. man it's you can be you can be a long ways into a walk and you always feel confident that at, at some point you're going to get into good numbers of birds and that's really what that's what happened oh 
Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tell us about that, Nick. Like, first couple days out there, I mean, I know you weren't in, in the birds as thick as you wanted to be, but, like, how when did it click for you that, like, because you really started to focus on those bowls, you know, you were seeking them out. And, yep. you know, I'm always, my number one go-to is always looking at the biggest terrain around. Like, when you drive and you see a big high prairie maybe six miles away, and it's like, oh, man, what's over there? I want to get over there and get up as high as possible. That wasn't necessarily the slam dunk this year that it has been in the past, but I mean, what, what kind of stuff was getting your juices flowing after the third or fourth day? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like you said, so our first, I mean, the way the trip set up, I, I felt like it was in hindsight, it was really ideal. Our first two days, Sunday, Monday were the hot days. So it was like, we knew we were going to have shorter hunts. We knew it was going to be tough. Um, you gotta, you gotta drop in and hunt some places and you guys had done some scouting. We did some scouting that first night and the first day it was kind of like, all right, well pick a spot. We got to get dogs on the ground. Let's just go. And we got into a spot that we did not move any sharp tails while we were walking through it. It was a full section where we worked half a section. And while we were working that half section, based on what I had seen in the past, and like my confidence level in, in what I was looking at, I felt like I could have put up a sharp tail basically around every knob. And it, it, it wasn't, there wasn't thick carpet like grass everywhere, but there was enough snowberry and enough pockets that I just felt like we could get into. Well, long story short, we didn't get into anything. We ran, we ran rows on the other half section and we were kind of like, uh, I don't know if we should do this, but it's day one. Like we gotta, we gotta keep walking, put boots on the ground. So mm-hmm. we did that and, didn't get any sharp tails. We did flush a covey of Huns in the uh, like sixty seconds from the truck that I didn't even I didn't even <laughs> shoot at. I was like awestruck. It was like one of the first times I had I had actually put up Huns out in that prairie pasture, which is something I've talked about here. I I seem to have very little luck doing that. So, but anyways, the dogs were there, and it was the dogs' first contact, and there was like kind of a a little bit of pointing and a little bit of moving around, and just like. Yeah, we had Huns up right away. So that actually got us feeling pretty good. But as I talked mm-hmm. about, we didn't get into any. And then 
you know, you got a half day. You, you We hit a couple spots. We ended up seeing a few birds later that day, but that was day one. We were done at noon or whatever it was, and I never never even pulled the trigger. So the the vibe was not like, oh my gosh, this is this is terrible. Even though it's like, you know, you guys had some success that morning, so we were contrasting that with our lack of success. And you're just like, ah, geez, here we go again. Mike and Ted, <laughs> Mike and Ted are into the birds, and we're you know we whiffed on one cover. But I think, I think at the end of the day, like both Garrett and I knew, like, you know, it's hunting, you, you walked one spot and there were no sharp tails there. And then as the week went on more and more, we saw that that cover was, while it was okay, relative to everything else around, it was, it was not very good in a, in a different year, that same cover might be some of the best cover you find, but that was not the case this year. So then fast forward to day two, we hunt a better looking spot. We get into birds right away. Uh, there weren't, there weren't a ton of birds in there and that is relative to what we would find the rest of the week, but we got into good grass. We got into sharp tails, both Garrett and I, I think walked out of there with two and we were feeling much better. And then we, we again ran rows on another piece of that cover and it was getting really hot. Didn't see any birds. And yeah, but so, so we kind of got our feet wet on day two and then it it wasn't it was day 3 that the clouds came in the weather turned and that was when we hunted the probably what i would consider the best piece of sharptail cover i've ever found slash hunted and it's a it's a full section and it's it had everything it had the grass it had snowberry rose hips hoppers and most importantly for me it had like just an endless topography layout there was there was another bull bench or saddle around every every single knob and it was it's the kind of place where you can look at it two ways like one i'm never going to touch all this even if we come in here with three or four dogs it's going to be really hard to hit every place where sharp tails could be sitting but to your point that you made it was also the kind of place where it was like if I just keep walking, like I could, I could stumble onto sharp tails in here anywhere. I mean, the cover was, cover was that good. And the topography, there was always some sort of objective or terrain feature to be working. And that's like, to me, that's what I really appreciate. Cause that's a really engaging form of hunting when you are making some of those decisions on how to work something, how to move around terrain and topography. And we got into birds there and that really set the tone for the rest of the week. It was like, okay, this is this is what we're looking for. It's got the grass, it's got the bulls, it's got the topography and the food is here. And I mean, that, that pattern held true for the rest of the week in large part due to the, that weather pattern sticking around too, cloudy and cool. So we were, we were pretty jacked up by day three. Yeah. I think that was the, what you called the premier cover. The premier. Right? That's right. Yep. That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to stick with. That's that. the benchmark for me going forward. Go to the premier, right? Yeah, and Mike and I ended up hunting south of there. Was that the second to last day? That was Thursday. In adjacent, yep. Yeah, in the same in the same general area. Contiguous habitat, different piece. Yeah, and I think just a function of that pasture being so prime, we we didn't encounter nearly as many birds in the terrain there. It was probably a little more heavily grazed, but found plenty of birds adjacent to it, you know, kind of spillover birds probably that were enjoying the use of that pasture there this whole time, you know. Yeah, that's fun, isn't it? Just two, three days of struggle and then having that success right in the middle of the trip 
and then keeping that keeping that going throughout the rest of the three four days kind of highlights like if you're going to go on like a long weekend trip to a new area and try and figure it out man you can the internal pressure someone puts on themselves probably builds up a lot faster and maybe you make you know a little more rash decisions rather than absorbing really what's going on around you and you know you got time to to learn and move around and find the stuff that really looks good. So Yeah, the length and duration of a trip, obviously if you've got the luxury to do it, that six to seven day that was it definitely gave it, it there was less pressure on us up front and it gave gave us a chance, I think, to dive deeper both like into the cover but also like just sort of analytically thinking about stuff. And by day three we were we got into the birds, weather improved. I had some I had some good hunts in the well, I had a good hunt in the premier <laughs> cover. And and that kind of set off that set off a four day stretch of probably some of the best sharp tail hunting I've ever experienced over those four days, despite the fact that there were uh there were some ups and downs uh in both shooting confidence <laughs> and not, not really, not really. It wasn't so much a struggle on birds because we were pretty much into the birds. So the, the main roller coaster involved, uh, some, some shooting struggles of a couple members of our four man party. <laughs> Every trip. Huh? You were, you were not one of those people that struggled, Ted. So what was it like watching, watching that play out over those couple days? Well, you know, I try and make a point not to be a piler honor kind of a person. You know, it's easy to pick the. Yeah. I've always felt like you want to take the high road and not take the bait when it's easy to give someone a hard time when they're struggling with something like that, especially on a trip where, you know, you've got a certain amount of days and everybody can fall into shooting slumps. Let's not even talk about the rough grouse woods and shooting percentages where right. you're, you're a much more proficient shooter in the grouse woods than I am. But anyway, uh, yeah, I tried not to pile on too much, but just in observation, you know, I would say one of my favorite parts of taking these types of hunts with other people is meeting up after the hunt and kind of breaking it down and, you know, hearing how things went and, and just a vibe check, you know, and it was very obvious after you guys took a couple walks and had some conversations. And when you lead with, Oh, the dog work was really good, but you know, then it kind of trails off and, uh, not a lot, <laughs> not a lot of, <laughs> Not a lot of birds went down for the amount of shots fired. It sounded like on a couple of walks, but you know, you just there was some there was some shared glances. Nick was Nick was doing some soul searching, and uh, Garrett and Mike <laughs> and I shared some glances and some body language and looks. But we tried real hard not to, you know, offer unsolicited advice because it really doesn't help, you know. So other than just yeah. keep shooting and keep walking, you know. I mean, just, yeah. I feel like here's a good opportunity, Nick, to like show some vulnerability here, you know, the podcast host, but tell me what was going on in your mind. What goes through someone's mind when, you know, the bir birds are uh, coming up where they should be, dog is doing what they should be, and you're shooting and just they're not falling out of the sky? What, I mean, besides obvious things like, you know, disappointment, beyond that, what goes through your mind? Right, right. Yeah, and good question, <laughs> and it was it was a bit of a strange, it was a bit of a strange day for me because I, so like we didn't get a lot, of, I didn't get any shooting the first day, day two, I only shot twice and killed two sharp tails. So you're feeling pretty good. Right. And that was with, that was with a, with a gun that I had 
had worked on over the summer, my old vintage gun that Dell bent the mm-hmm. stock for me. And I was thinking I was going to shoot that gun better out on, out on the prairie. And that was how I kicked things off. Well, then the next day I wanted to carry, we had this RFM Venus 12 gauge, which was really probably my favorite gun to carry out there just because it's six pounds. I had some nice light loads for it. And the first bird I shot at with that gun, I dropped as well. So I'm, I'm feeling really good. I, I, I killed three sharp tails yeah, with my first three shots. Cashing in on your opportunities. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we talked a lot about this, especially all four of us are primarily rough grouse and woodcock hunters. And so you go out to hunt early season sharp tails and relatively speaking, the shooting is not as difficult. You've got unobstructed views. You've got typically pretty close birds and you kind of have you kind of have an expectation that the bird's going to fall when you're shooting at it, as long as there's not, you know, it's, there's not like extenuating yeah. circumstances where you're, you're making a reach on something, but none of us really seem to do that. Cause we're, we're so used to shooting close birds that a lot of, a lot of birds that get up far, I think we mm-hmm. just let fly anyways. But so that happened. And then, then I, I think I missed, I think I missed three or four, whether they were single or double, like three or four single double series in a row. And, and I, but I felt like I didn't do anything different. So you, you know, I'm, I'm mounting the gun, I'm shooting the bird falls. And then on the next couple of shots, I do the same thing and the bird doesn't fall. And I really felt like I just didn't have the answer. Like it was in the past, in the past, I felt like I could point to, Oh, I made a terrible gun mount there. I rushed it. I did this. I did that. Uh, I just like, I'm comfortable with the guns that I had out there. I didn't get to practice enough with them, like to build my Mm -hmm. own confidence. So, I mean, we've talked about, you know, how big confidence is in shooting. And I think that, that might've played a pretty big role on that day, just because the minute I missed a couple, I started to kind of like, question everything like oh gosh i didn't get to the sporting clays range mm-hmm. with this gun and maybe it's not shooting where i'm looking and I, i'm sure it was like it, it was for the most part mental and and just a, a confidence thing and not having enough experience to fall back on that was that was a big deal but you know i wasn't like upset i mean you guys saw me like i wasn't screaming or swearing and that's not <laughs> really my nature or anything but but it was it was more confused i honestly felt more confused and then the disappointment is always like when the dog does it right and you don't drop the bird. Like, I don't think that needs to be so disappointing. Like it's just hunting, but it, it's always this, you know, we're success oriented individuals, or at least I am. And you want to, you want to close the loop and come full circle and you want the dog to get the bird mm-hmm. in the mouth. Right. So, th- so there's, there's that combined with just that, like really questioning, like yeah. what is going on, but Thank, thankfully, I had had the guys with me that I did that day because you kept me going, and maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about yeah, I think hunt. Well, I think with, a couple of I them. think it's worthwhile. I mean, that was kind of a highlight, not a personal highlight, but like for sure, one day of the trip that stands out is you know we all everybody had a couple birds. I think Mike was done, but um, uh, Mike and Garrett were both done, and then we needed to walk. Remember, we went to that yeah. three quarter section and. Uh, and then yeah. uh, we reconvened there. There was some obvious confusion, I guess you'd call it, that what you just said. You know, you were confused why the birds weren't falling. And, but, but we had plenty of time. Yeah. We said, okay, let's take another walk. Um, I needed one, and uh, Fitz hadn't been on the ground yet. And so we split up and kind of made a game plan to 
sweep the outer perimeter of this cover and then we were going to meet in the middle and Mike who uh has got the PRL uh Elwa who Elwa yeah he he actually needed one bird he needed Mike one did. bird on okay. that walk yep yep because this is day four yeah this is the day that that I was okay, really yeah. struggling <laughs> so Garrett Garrett was the only one that didn't need a bird so he was walking he was walking Correct. along so with he, he had the walking yeah, he was the walking flushing along stick with me with one of my walking <laughs> sticks which was pretty comical and man that guy never you know I'm yeah. so used to walking by myself and kind of not that I don't mind talking but you know even in the open space I I find that my senses are very much in tune to what the dog is doing and sounds even and it was so that was the first walk yeah. of the entire trip where I had someone walking with me and you know, Garrett was riding high, was feeling pretty good about himself, I think, which he should. And right. man, he was chatting me up the whole time and we were talking about talking about dogs and talking about this and that and uh kind of watching Fitzy unroll out in front of us. But yeah, so that was the vibe. Nick was feeling a little anxious. Uh Mike oh yeah, Mike and I had shot two birds apiece over uh my short hair Tika on that walk just a, a mile north of there. Mm-hmm. So or maybe a little further than that. But anyway. Yeah, that's right. You guys each needed one. So he put Elwa, which is PRL setter down, and that was the first time you'd seen him, right? Yes. So tell me about that. I mean, I I mean, my walk, I ended up getting one that was pretty anticlimactic. I mean, had a nice find and shot my shot a single, but how was it walking with Elwa? And then what kind of opportunities did you get there after feeling kind of the pressure? (laughs) Gosh, I'm just. (laughs) <laughs> thinking in my head about describing this uh my, yeah mike and i had had uh what we're what we're i mean i'm referring to it now as almond's angle it's uh it's a little quarter section of cover that i think mike has had a, a few good hunts in we've been out in this area once or twice before and anyways we went in there and yeah boy i don't know if you could i don't know if you could cram in i mean you probably could i've, I've been hunting sharp tails five years but we had about as much action as you could pack into a to a quarter section. I mean, there were the birds were like spread about just right. There's there's not a ton of terrain down there, but it, there's enough. Mm-hmm. There's just enough sort of like benches and flats where you can work around and get mm-hmm. into birds. And yeah, Elwa was. We got in. We got into birds pretty quick. And that first contact, he went on point, perfect. We walk in, Mike and I were flanking. Again, we both need, I think I needed, I needed two birds. Mike needed one and we're walking in and those birds got up just a bit out of range. Oh, and I, I should be saying out of range in air quotes. Cause it was like beyond my yeah. comfort level. First instinct I, wasn't to pull up and shoot. So if you don't do that, I mean, yeah, correct. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. And by the end of the trip, I realized that my, my comfort level is a little bit further than what I thought with a tighter choked gun, which I don't have as much experience with, but anyways, that's, that's really neither here nor there. So first contact goes, nothing happens. And then, or we don't, we don't shoot and we're working and Elwa gets into, I think he went on point and a bird got up early. We walked in, bird got up early, no shots there. And then Elwa moved forward and and ran into some birds, ran into some birds, but then stopped himself. And Mike and I had talked about that. You know, L was, uh, is it, this is his, is this yep, his second, second season, season on Ted? the prairie? Yeah. Second two, season. Two, two yeah. Yeah. So we talked, you, you know, if he, if, if birds get up, but we get them stopped and we walk in and he's steady and we flush a straggler, that's okay to shoot. Um, so we, we move in 
and a bird does get up kind of on my side of Elwa. And again, this is, this is where like sort of the crack was starting to widen because like my <laughs> confidence was, was sinking pretty quickly. So this bird gets up and I mean, I can picture this bird in my mind. If I had the same flush tomorrow, I would be shooting very quickly, like just confidence level wise. But on that day, I was watching this bird and thinking, geez, that's kind of out there. And I mean, it probably, it could not have been more than 30 yards away. Uh, That's probably a stretch. So I'm watching this bird, like hesitating, hesitating and bang, bird falls out of the sky. Mike had (laughs) dropped it. And, and I turned and I'm like, nice shot, Mike. And, and Mike said, he's like, got, he had, it was further from him than it was from me. And, but he had a good look at it and, he was like, he was like, gosh, that was kind of out there. I, I was glad to see that drop. And I was like, I'm glad that you did shoot that and drop it because like I needed a sort of a wake up call. Like that's, that's a definitely yeah. a shootable bird at that point. And so Mike's done and El was, El was on fire at this point. He's, he's running around and he's been into birds and we do have a small space to work in. So that's always something, you know, you don't want your dog running around like crazy, which yeah. El was not doing. Thorough. And when we say run around like crazy Elwa style is, uh, he's not making big, long, linear casts like you see Rose or Fitzy, you know, like a field trial type. He's, he's being more thorough, kind of back and forth working, but not missing a single objective, kind of working through everything on the way. Yeah. Fast. And and both Mike and I were pretty, yeah, fast. He's quick. He's Mm -hmm. very, he's very quick. And he, and he covers ground. I mean, it's. I, you know, I've, I've hunted, I've hunted with a couple of PRL dogs and I don't, I, I haven't hunted with any that I would say are really close range. I mean, they're, they're in contact with you, but Elwell was definitely stretching mm-hmm. out and covering ground out on the prairie. But so then I, I can't remember exactly how many more contacts we had other than that Elwa had, it was really interesting to, he would slow down, he would slow down and you knew he had scent and he would kind of. I remember, okay, I remember this one very well. So we're working up the side of this little slope face, looking like a good spot. Elwa slows down, tails flagging a little bit, so you know the bird's not right there, but he kind of, the way I describe it, he kind of convinced himself to stop. Like, I've got something here, but I'm not quite sure. So I'm walking up slowly, and before I got to him, he, he moved on, and you could tell he was working, he was working scent. So he's moving further up this slope, and he did the same thing again. He slowed, flagging, tail wagging a little bit, stopped. I'm walking up again, and you know the heart rate's it's up, and then it's down, and then the heart rate's up again. It was stopped, and I'm walking in, but he wasn't super intense on that point. Before I get to him, he moves again. He moves up the slope. He's working the wind. He goes about 50 yards up the slope and slams on point, head down, super intense, looking right up. And by this point, you know you've got enough evidence. You're like there's got to be birds there. And so then I kind of like, then I'm cruising up to him. What's, Mike's uh, hanging what's back. going through my, just the... nothing. Or are you, are you starting to, you know, <laughs> I think I was, I honestly think I was pretty clear headed there. I, it felt like a great opportunity. Like I saw Elwa, you know, he had sent multiple times and then he slams on point. So I'm pretty convinced there's birds there and I'm, I'm just going to lift the gun and shoot. That's, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I got to do mm-hmm. this or I got to do that. I mean, I might've had a couple thoughts, but I, I think I was, I'm trying to think of like what my prevailing, I always have some assumption of like, you know, why I missed or what I was doing, mm-hmm. but I can't remember quite what that was in that moment. Well, I walked in and these birds, they got up 
just like just I know what the thought was. The thought was shoot because Mike had Mike had dropped that bird that I was hesitating on. So I was walking in telling myself, okay, I've got to shoot. Like if I get near these birds, mm-hmm. like I need to shoot. Like I'm I can't I can't watch them fly away. I'm not gonna learn anything mm-hmm. doing that, right? And and so as I was getting there, they did get up before I would have liked them to. They were plenty in range, plenty shootable, and the birds kind of they got up right in front of me, but they were they were moving at a straight ninety. Uh, I think they got up into the wind. They weren't moving very fast, and I put my gun up pretty fast, picked a bird right in the front, bang, bang, twice, nothing <laughs> falls. <laughs> and nothing nothing fell other than my confidence even further at that point. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a tough one because awesome dog work. Elwa nails them after. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than a dog that's working birds and like you get a couple relocates and then they finally mm-hmm. nails them. I mean that to me, that's just like, wow, you get to see kind of the whole thing. And boy, you learn a lot about how the wind is moving across the, the terrain and the grass and everything. So mm-hmm. that was really cool. And so I missed that one. I don't think we went. Did you bring uh, the sea cap out and try and take a picture of vegetation to like, you know, get your mind up? <laughs> <laughs> like like switch <laughs> switch gears for a moment no i don't think so and you know and then it, gosh then it's like then it's somebody else's dog who just you know did awesome and of course mike is you know mike's not giving me a hard time he know he knows like i'm kind of feeling it and but you're like oh my gosh oh well, great work and you want to drop a bird yep. but i did not and th- we didn't move much farther <laughs> mike and i were kind of standing tootling around like we're getting close to the point where mm-hmm. we're going to meet up with you and and all of a sudden, he's on point again, and we look down this hill, and he's right on the the rim of this little drop off to a slough, po- locked up in tents, looking maybe like a bench at us, you'd call which it. is like, yeah, yeah, it was, yep. And I mean, anytime you get the dog looking right at you, and you can assume the birds are in between you, and I'm walk, I walked straight into his mm-hmm. nose at that point. Mike was right behind me with the with the iPhone camera rolling. <laughs> and I walked in and again, perfect. I mean, at this time I closed the distance even further. I could not have been more than 25 yards from Elwa and the birds got up in between us and one got up at a nice 45 kind of rising crosser, put the muzzles in front of the bird, bang bang, twice oh. missed. <laughs> miss that bird i'm empty another one gets up in front of me and at that point it was like that was the end you know it was it was i just like i didn't know i had literally had no idea what was going on in hindsight what i think was happening is i was shooting a very tightly choked gun with spreader loads and i hate to be the guy that says you know i I, my pattern was too small but that's really the best thing that i can come up with and also when I'm shooting birds, which I'm, I have to kind of examine this and like think about it. Like I think something I picked up clay shooting is I'll kind of, I will place the, the barrels or the muzzle mm-hmm. in front of the target and, and break clays like that. And I don't think that's really the best thing you can do out in the grouse. Like when you're, when you're hunting, you'd rather swing mm-hmm. through the bird. Like you can get, we, we're not going to get into swing through and yeah. pull away and all that kind of stuff, but. I really think that I was I was placing the muzzles in front of these birds that were getting up very close and not yeah. flying that fast and shooting a really tightly yeah. choked gun and missing them. And I 
basically confirm that my last two days of shooting by altering sort of my yeah, approach. Yeah, just seeing techniques. the bird and shooting at the bird, yeah. Yeah, seeing the bird, shooting at the bird, and yeah, it's it's like, I don't know, how, like I've never really had that issue mm-hmm. before, but it's just weird how the, and I guess that's how shooting slumps happen. Things creep in and, and you just, you're doing something different. And then again, I mean, don't even get me started on like, once you start <laughs> to question like this, this gun or that, or what, you know, this ammo, well, I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, you know, it's, I'm glad you weren't, error, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you weren't afraid to, to dive into it, the mental part of it a little bit, because everybody, I don't oh, think yeah. if there's someone listening that, can honestly say they've never gone through some sort of ups and downs with shooting. I'd like to know who that is because it happens. And, you know, kind of wanted to put the screws to you a little bit to dive into it because, you know, with with more experience, et cetera. And if you, if you have one gun forever and you kind of get in the routine and everything is natural, it's real easy to be just, you know, confident and know your limitations, et cetera. But yeah, if you start going down that, if you start going down that, my uh, negative mindset or not negative but just questioning stuff then you got to find a way to grab onto some roots so you don't slide down that hill (laughs) you know so i was glad exactly but yeah garrett and i met up with you right after that we then you got yeah right after i missed that those birds you guys come strolling over the hill and you know you're basically you got your eyebrows go up because you're wondering if we're we'd heard a lot of limited put it down (laughs) Yeah, you heard enough enough for the answer to be yes to that question, but it was Mike Mike had his bird and and I was yeah. still down too. <laughs> so then like to kind of like not belabor this, I mean we have some hunts we could talk about, but so then we kind of met up, we chatted for a bit and you know, I'm again, I'm not like I wasn't super upset. I was disappointed and really was like shrugging my shoulders. Like I, ha- I yeah. have no idea full what's on, going on here. Full on therapy so anyways, hadn't started yet, but you know, each correct, doctor correct uh, yeah. was psychoanalyzing the situation out there and making their own rec- yeah. you know, internal recommendations. <laughs> Working towards a diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> so then Mike and Garrett kind of, they kind of paired up and sort of went off in, in a more direct route to the truck, but you were like, all right, we, we got some ground to cover. Did you guys hit this? And honestly, I was thinking like the amount of birds that Mike and I got into, I'm like, there can't be any knobs or knolls left. Like there's no more birds out here. Well, the minute you doubt, you know, Fitzy, he's going to go out and <laughs> prove you wrong. So he starts, he starts casting and I don't know how long it was, but he's up on point on a little knob. I walk in, same deal. I get right up on top of them. Birds get up close. I mean, th- those birds couldn't have been more than 10 yards. And I think I got right out in front of that sharp tail again, even closer this time. Bang, bang, miss. Birds down. You know, there's three or four of them in the air. So here's, you know, six in a row <laughs> that I've missed, six shots in a row I've missed. And, and then he did have one more point on that hunt, which yeah, I walked was, in. He was out and, there a ways and he kind of doubled back. He kind of doubled back. Oh yeah, we were we were standing down in that bottom, and he like made a long cast, and we were kind of looking over like he was away from the truck. We're like, ah, oh, what's what's gonna happen over there? And then, boink, he's on point right up on this rise. We could see him from like two hundred, yeah, I don't know, two twenty five or something. So we walk over there, you know, fairly quickly, but it took us a while to get there. And I actually remember. Well, these birds got up before that, but it was this perfect little knob that was like, it had as many 
like as many rose hips as I've seen on like a little, you know, 10 by 10 square that, that I think I've ever seen. It was just, just beautiful. Fitzy's up there. I walk in three birds, get up and again, plenty within range, but my instinct at that point was, oh, they're just, they're just too far. And so I didn't shoot. And this is one of those things that later in the week, like if I could go back, I think if I would have shot there, I might've been okay because they were further out and having, having a better picture of like what this, what kind of patterns this gun was throwing. I just was, that was part of the mystery to me on that day. So I didn't shoot, didn't shoot at those, walked up past Fitzy. And one one other one got up way down low, but that was that, it, was, yeah. that was it. We walked out. Yeah, of that probably cover. dealing with uh, probably dealing with birds that had been moved, you know, scattered about, and we were yes. kind of getting back yeah, on them. Stirred so. around. Yeah, no problem. Tucking tail yep. and going out of there then. Yep. And and at that point, I was like, so everybody's done but me. It's plenty cool. It's in though. the afternoon. Day. It was plenty cool. It was cloudy. Perfect. Perfect hunting day. I mean, all day conditions. And that was the day that there was, was that the day that there was like a little spit of rain? Yeah, because that's when we started seeing yep. all the salamanders. That's right. And we got back to the truck. So we go back and I'm ready to be, you know, like, I'm just like the guy, like, I'm not going to ask everybody else to keep hunting with me so I can go out and keep missing and stuff. But there was one dog that had not run that day, which was Hartley. And Ted's like, I got a spot. I got a spot We're we're going, let's, let's go. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I think I could just be done. And, uh, you encouraged me enough to, to say, well, let's, let's go cut Hartley loose yeah. and, and drove all the way the out there. The dog needs to run every day if he can, you know? It, yep. If you can. Yep. Yep. So we did that and that actually hunt played out definitely differently. We, there were some, we all met up at, Everybody parked, and so we're parked there. Ted and me are going to go into the cover with Hartley, and Mike and Garrett's plan is to sit in the truck and watch because it was this big <laughs> north-facing hillside that they could basically see the whole thing. <laughs> so I've got an audience now. <laughs> but we, we started, very long. and no, it didn't. Hartley was on point pretty early, and it was the cover was good. I mean, it was, it was really thick. There was a ton of snowberry. It was... It was not way up in the hills where we were kind of thinking the birds would be. Mm-hmm. It was down in the flats. So you're like, eh, I don't know what's going to happen here. Well, anyways, Hartley went on point. I think he moved once and he ended up, he ended up being on point very close to a sharp tail that took off and was definitely out of range. And I, and Hartley was up there. So I, I didn't even think about shooting at that bird, but where you and I had been standing, we were close to another bird. And that bird took off mm-hmm. pretty close, went, flew straight away low. I raised the gun, bang, missed, <laughs> back trigger, yep. dropped the bird. <laughs> so I, so I hit one, but I hit it with the second barrel and it was a, it was a low straightaway shot. Well, you know, on the I drive, dropped. you know, it was a five mile, 10 mile, I don't know, whatever, a short yep. drive over to that spot. But we had that discussion about, you know, the birds you'd been missing that were really close and then not shooting at birds that were getting up a little further. And then you surmised maybe I'm, yep. maybe my pattern is just so tight. So remember you put spreaders in the second load or the second barrel. Right. In that, in that first cover, I was shooting a spreader in the right barrel and a non-spreader in the left barrel, which is a full choke. And just because I was wondering, yeah, I, I, I was wondering if, I guess I was probably questioning like, 
geez, are these spreader loads like just dissipating to the point where I've got nothing mm-hmm. left? So that's probably what I was what I was leaning towards. Well, and then and then you and I talked, and you were like, "I'm shooting number eight. You know, I'm just yeah. shooting super you, open shooting chokes, eights, yeah. eights, and yeah, open chokes." And at that point, I was kind of like, "Wow!" Like I, yeah, I got to rethink this. So then I went spreader, spreader. Mm-hmm. That's right, in both barrels. So I dropped that one with the second, and then this ended up being kind of a long hunt. We worked all the way up into these hills. We had some undirected we were, points. We were kind um, of resigned you know, so to the fact that. You know, we put an effort in and there maybe they just weren't in there thick like I had hoped. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I was honestly like after that first bird came down, Hartley Hartley had a point. I dropped a bird like yeah, what I else? was totally content. And what I else turned to you need? and I was yeah. like I'm like, this is this yeah, like like thank you for encouraging me to come back out here. Is exactly like Ted said. He's like, I mean, you could go home right now and sit and think about this all night at dinner or we could go run Hartley and maybe we could yeah. change our fortune <laughs> and that's kind of the that's solution exactly to all of life's like the problems. first 15 Just minutes put your put your dog down and go walk behind it <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so we got up into the hills Hartley pointed some he pointed a couple big roosters and a bunch of pheasants were flying out of there and we did he did bump one sharp mm-hmm. tail way up on top he was cruising cruising a little ridge line and bumped a single up there and some unproductive points that you know we we were we had plenty to keep us busy like i was walking in on this and we were working terrain and really good but just the birds weren't in there so by now it's getting really close to the end of the day we're walking out i mean we're all the way down the hill right back to where actually we went through where we got into those first birds and like we had a choice like we could either turn towards the truck which i kept wanting to do i kept wanting to turn towards the truck but if you hunt with ted you'll know he's always looking for that next objective and he's like ah there's a there's a little bit of cover down there and so we kind of angle and heart we even swings said, down like, there this is it this is sure like enough, the last remaining piece this is it last piece <laughs> yep yep and he goes down there and sure enough he goes on point and i walk down nothing flushes i think he moved at least once and point it again. So I move up, I'm walking, nothing. And then Hartley's moving and whatever he was doing, he was looking around for more birds. I had kind of, I was like making my, my little loop back to the yeah, truck. We, like, okay, there was, that, you know, nothing there, was there. that was we, it. We attempted flushing and nothing came of it. Yeah. Correct. Yep. And so I turn and I'm walking back towards the truck and a sharp tail gets up basically at my feet, startled the heck out of me, like got up, flew straight away from me. I remember that time I actually bobbled my gun mount. I made like my worst gun mount of the trip and I think it actually slowed me down a bit. So I, by the time I got the gun ready, the bird had got some distance and I pulled up and shot another straightaway shot, Mm -hmm. dropped it. So I had my, had my limit and actually killed a bird, even though that, that, you know, mount, mount shoot didn't feel that great i dropped it and hartley hartley pointed both Mm -hmm. those birds and yeah that that day ended on a really high note after some (laughs) after some serious struggles and uh yeah i think that evening too was probably the (laughs) highlight of our evening escapades back at the place we were staying too with some storytelling and kind of everybody riding the same wave of you know feeling like we're in the midst of the hunt and everybody had good dog work that day you know i think everybody had their own individual dog do some good you know get some good contacts and stuff like that so it's man in my mind that was kind of we were we were doing it you know that was the trip 
kind of the trip maker yeah. to me. And then the rest of it after that was pretty gravy. So, yeah. And you know, there is, there's interesting dynamics that play out. Like, I mean, all, all four of us are, we're good friends, but it's like if three guys have their limit and one guy has one and, and had a, had a tough day, you know, like it's just, it's just a different, different vibe sitting around the table at night so it's when when and, and again it's not like that ruins the trip or anything like that it's not it's not about getting your limit and kind of stuff but it's just those kinds of things play out on trips like this and it's just i don't know it's interesting to see but um yeah if i learned anything keep going shoot your way out of it which is all the stuff that you guys were saying through throughout the day and by the time that day came to a close and wrapped up when we were sitting around the dinner table it was it was yeah, i'm pretty sure it was fun. grilled or no, those guys got pizza that night because we were, li- I think so. Yeah, we night? were lingering. They kept texting us, okay. where are you guys? How long are you going to be? Doesn't he have <laughs> one yet? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so I want to, now I want to talk, and we'll let you kind of lead this, but I want to talk about the day we ran Fitzy up oh. to the edge of the world. Yeah, how did that day? <laughs> that was a, actually the day before. This was the day before. I don't. I think I'm trying to think of what I think this was the morning that I hunted the premiere cover and my shooting struggles started, but they didn't fully uh, express themselves <laughs> on that day. <laughs> the bouquet. The- exactly. Yeah. It's like, cause I killed, I killed one bird with the, with the 12 gauge Venus and was feeling super good about it. And then I missed a few more, which I don't. I, we won't even. Yeah. We won't even get Upland into that, Gun Company is a sponsor was, of the show, but of course, I think it's all user. You know. <laughs> yeah, definitely, operator definitely error. operator error in that case. <laughs> <laughs> the like I said, I, if if I had confidence, like I would have carried that gun probably every every hunt other than than one or two because it's just. I mean, it's six pounds. It's shooting one ounce twelve gauge loads. It was just it was awesome to carry. But yeah. Anyways, I had one bird. You had none. This was the first day of the trip that you actually struck because you and Mike had pretty much early morning success the first few days. So this is mm-hmm. like day three, and you didn't have you didn't day have four. any sharp tails. So maybe you want to walk through briefly what happened on. Um, yeah, it would have been your morning. I think your day three or four, and our day four or five. Um, yes. Yeah, the night before, Correct. like always, you know, while we were hunting with Hartley, the hunt you were just describing, Mike and Garrett went and field checked or ground checked a couple spots that we had scouted out and uh, had a game plan. Um, But you guys wanted, no, it it was the, it was the premier cover day. It was the premier cover day. Yeah. When you and Garrett were having a really good run, but some of your shooting struggles, you had one. Um, Yeah. You went off on an exploratory. Yeah. Because you guys decided that's the spot you wanted to hunt, which was great. Because prior, you know, you were, we had known some of these spots and you guys were kind of going off of some of our recommendations besides, uh, for the initial yep. hunt. So it is nice when it, the combined decision-making, and this is one of my favorite parts of the hunt is I'm, you know, a pretty analytical person, both in my professional world and hunting as far as internally, you know, I'm constantly yep. kind of way like, you know, time investment, you got to drive a half hour, this opposite direction to get to a spot you know was it your was it your top 10 of, of maybe 20 spots that we had in mind is it does it even make it into the top 10 should i waste a morning hunt and blah, blah blah but i think once you guys 
made a clear decision, which Mike and I both appreciated because, you know, there's always so much kind of back and forth, like, ah, do you think we should go there? I don't know. What do you think? Or what do you think? Which right, can right. lead sometimes to frustration, you know, with decision-making. Once you guys said, hey, we're going to this this certain spot, then we kind of maybe took a flyer on one of the spots. We had seen some sharp tails fly into it. We knew it was pretty thin. Um, it looked like cattle had been there, you know, more recently than others. And there was cattle in one portion of it, which we avoided, you know, but, um, but we said, well, those guys are going to go there. Let's be in the same region as them. So we're not, you know, 20 miles away and, um, yeah, took a flyer so we could kind of meet up in the middle of the day. And, uh, yeah, Mike and I walked a spot with both our German dogs there with the short hair and he took Sig, his Weimaraner and, um, you know, there was a couple commanding hilltops, and it was surrounded on three three sides by crop, but it was definitely thinner than what we'd been hunting. And just the way we split up, like Mike got into birds up high on those saddles, and um, the spot, you know, the the region that I went to, I Tika pointed one single out in front of me, but it was so wide open. Like as soon as I crowned the hill, I'm like, oh man, this bird's gonna be getting up fast. There was there wasn't like the obvious patch of cover where you're like okay i'm gonna go to there and that's where the bird's gonna be but she was pointing and the bird came up i don't know 80 yards in front of me maybe 50 yards in front of her you know it was like we just weren't into them we'll put it that way i did shoot a yep. western jackrabbit on that trip though which or on that walk which ah, that's right you know when you got a german dog that she knows better than to spend a lot of time on fur but uh um and she had pointed in this area kind of looked like she wanted to track something her head went down and then she kind of moved on but when i came into it then i flushed the jackrabbit and she saw it from a distance going and you know she was hightailing it that direction and so i had two choices either you know call her off of chasing the rabbit or what i ended up doing my natural instinct was like all right i'm gonna get her something here pow you know it just rolled that thing but never had shot one before picked it up and put it in my vest and I had to, I'm telling you, I had to adjust my vest to uh, account for the weight down of that, that final rise. Yeah, it was. I uh, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised too upon cutting it up, like the tenderloins and the hind quarters on it. I mean, anyway, I don't want to get in the weeds on that. But our first walk, yeah, I I did yeah. not. I did take a shot at a bird that she was working in the edge of a crop field that came out and kind of surprised me and. Uh, missed and I know I felt the gun hit me funny on the shoulder I don't tend to analyze that stuff too well but I I was rushing you know to try and get a shot because I knew it was going to be maybe my only chance but Mike ended up shooting two birds there with Sig which was great so we met up before walking out and enjoyed that moment kind of man I love it when you know someone has success with a dog and you know I've had a lot of hunts with Sig over the years with Mike and you know, he, I call him my, my, he's my boy Sig there, you know, and he's, he's not getting younger. We'll put it that way. So I think he's 11 years old. So, yep. uh, it was really nice to see that he got a good quality hunt with Sig. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so you had gotten one bird. I had zero. We met up and you guys had driven around a little bit before meeting up with us and did a little bit of scouting, found That's a right. good piece of unposted private land that was contiguous with some high country pasture that we had, you know, hunted a, a different, a different portion the of other it, side of, not yep. far away. So yep. it just looked really good. And I got excited 
Um, wasn't hot, was nice and cool, but a pretty stiff breeze, if you remember that, out of the east. And so we laid out a plan that Nick and I were going to take fits because both Garrett and Mike were done. They were right? done. I'm trying to think how that worked. Oh, Mike and I got a short hunt in. He shot one with Elwa right out of the truck, which I got to see that. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, took a, that's right. That was his third bird. Man, a real nice snappy point. Like seconds out of the truck, you know, when the dogs are all jacked up and we're like, mm-hmm. okay, let's generally head this way. We didn't even have time to like work out the visuals of like when you get into a spot and you kind of pick out your route. We didn't even have time to do that. He, yep. From right to left, coming, quartering the wind, you know, wind coming out of the right side of his face and just snap, turned right into a point. Three birds went and I could have shot, but Mike, you know, I kind of, I felt like Mike had the position. I was kind of shooting over the dog and bang, he, he folded yep. his third bird there. And man, that was a nice moment because I have not hunted a ton over Elwha. And uh, oh, there's just a whole arc story history with that dog, Mike. Mike and Amy, some of my best <laughs> friends, and they've had some ups and downs with Elwa. I broke his leg early as a pup, and then, you know, last year we were out and kind of cut his leg open on a fence. And, yeah, just, man, it was a, it was nice to see it all come together for Mike there. But, yeah, I think in the meantime, then you guys took another walk, and Garrett filled out his limits. So, yeah, it was you and I. You needed two. I needed three. And, you know, same yeah. conversation. But, and a- actually – I I will just interject here. The end of Garrett and I's morning is that's where we were hunting that the premier cover full section. We hunted one half, and I got one out of there. I think Garrett he must have walked out of there with two because then we came back and then we ran Rose on the other side, and we ran Rose in there, and she had a couple really nice finds and one that we both missed on. She had a first one we both missed on, and then she had another one where she snapped on point, and we walked right in. Perfect setup. The birds got up, like, literally at my feet. I got, I think I have GoPro footage of this that I haven't seen yet, and I shot these, and Garrett dropped a bird out of that for his limit to fill it, and I could have easily shot a double, but I, I think I shot at, like, two sharptails that were, like, probably five yeah. yards away <laughs> and i and i so missed some of the shooting so, some of the shooting struggles continued right they that's when they first started yeah. to expose and express themselves because this was the day before that hartley hunt but <laughs> anyway so i've got one you've got none we're going up the mountain yep, we we're took fixing. a pretty aggressive approach i feel like i like to i don't like to park in a spot where you feel like you're going out and back i always like to try and lay out a loop you know so you're so a yes. big wide casting yep. dog is going to be covering new ground the whole time and not necessarily be running over the same stuff. And so, yeah, you guys had scouted it out. We drove in there. Everything looked good. You know, like co- confidence was looked high. Good, yep. Some of the best cover I think that we saw the whole time as far as the volume it of it, good, yeah. the way it laid out. There was high ground. There was, you know, mid-range terraces that were high as well, but not quite as high as the peaks. And Yeah. But that and that was overall that was big high country like that was the highest point around. Yeah, for I think quite a ways. If I remember I the elevation, you know, was a hundred feet higher than what we typically been hunting, which makes a big difference out there. So yeah, we just we had a strong kind of east northeast wind, and we worked kind of accordingly. Piece of private that was posted, so we were very cognizant of about swinging around that and. It was electronically posted. Yep, swinging around that and not getting fitzy into that because, you know, the terrain itself lend, would have lent itself to a nice walk going right up and over that. But, 
yeah, had a couple unproductive points in there, which was odd. Mm-hmm. Um, Fitz looked pretty intense, but, you know, just eventually let go, kind of kept coming back and back and back into those areas and nothing produced. So yeah. Yeah. either birds and are moving thing- or... Um, I, I want to chime in here. The thing that was, was really like, I was just like kind of in, I guess, yeah, I needed two birds, but I just kind of felt like I was just out for a stroll, like just really wanting to watch Fitz work this stuff. And he was, he was making big casts side to sides, like you kind of described, but what he was doing is like, you could tell when he was really slowing down and like he was cutting back and forth and he really kind of slowed himself into some of these points, which again, like as you're watching that, you're just like, Oh, there's going to be birds mm-hmm. here. And, and there weren't, you know, a couple of times there weren't, and that's, you always wonder what's, what's going on there. But he was for, for as big a cast as he makes, like what he was showing on that night, like as far as like slowing down and working into mm-hmm. to scent cones was just like, man, it was fun to watch. Yeah. And really, I mean, last year, I would say at the end of the year in the grouse woods, in his two and a half year old season, once all the woodcock were gone and it was just strictly strictly grouse and the woods was more open and I could see him a lot. Like I saw him start to really put the put the pieces together. And to me that's, you know, yeah. he's just the, experience. Yeah, the dog the birds are teaching him, you know, hey man, you yep. can't come flying in here a hundred miles an hour and Yeah. And uh he starts to clutch it down and pretty much as soon as if he's on a big cast and I see him change direction, you know. I may not start walking at him right away, but I'm watching him. And if he changes direction, You're watching if he, close. Yeah, if he changes direction again and changes direction again, and he's narrowing mm-hmm. down a cone, I just start walking that way because yep. you know he's working into scent, and I call it pacing. But pretty soon he'll line out. You know, he's he's narrowing down the cone, never stops fully. And you know, I've heard listen to your interviews with Jerry Coulter talk about his dogs, but that's what he's going for. He wants that. He wants that field trial type dog to to not point at necessarily the first scent, you know, especially out in that open space with a lot of birds. And we had some conversations about this while walking, but when I see him reeling in that scent head high, you know, he's not super intense body language. He's smooth. He's just kind of working into it. It's almost like a trot, Yeah, but you know, you know what that's leading to. Yeah. So you see that happening and I mean, man, that's why we're out there, you know? Yes. Yep. If that, if you didn't see that kind of dog work on these hunts, you know, um, would I drive and spend a week, you know, that seeing that happen, it doesn't happen every hunt, but seeing that happen a handful of times on a, on a hunt. And luckily for you and I, we saw it a bunch of times on this walk where, you know, there's obviously a large volume of scent somewhere coming over the rise and you can't picture how that scent is moving through the valleys and through the little cuts and through the brush. But it's obvious he's reeling it in, and what I call pacing is he's no longer running, he's not pointing, but he's got very upright body posture, which tells me he's picking up scent that's up in the air, you know, and he's just, he's got it reeled in, and he just, it's like watching a semi-truck, you know, shift down coming off the highway, uh, yes. just clutching, clutching down and settling into a pace and he'll, he'll, he'll reel that scent in sometimes for a hundred yards, 150 yards. And then boop, you know, right at the spot, you think there might be a bird he'll set up and point. And, you know, I've seen it plenty of times now, so it never, I'm just sharing with you. It never gets old. You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so to have, I, to I have a good agree. buddy walk, <laughs> to have a good buddy walking along with you and see him, mm-hmm. you know, make, make a couple hundred yard cast left or right and just never stop working. Yeah it's easy for people to fall in love with their dogs and 
you know, I, I would say I'm pretty impartial. I like my short hair. I have a lot of fun hunting with her yet, but to see the dog work that he put together on a couple of days when, especially when people were feeling a little bit of pressure, we try not to make it, mm-hmm. it's not real pressure, but it's, you know, internal. It's there. Yeah. yeah you want to yeah. get a bird, you know, and, uh, yep. that's why we're out there. So yeah, we generally speaking, we saw him do that a couple of times and, um, as we were gaining elevation, we kind of had a goal in mind. I wanted to get to the top. And then with yep. the way the wind was, I wanted to take advantage of the wind coming over the top so that we weren't coming into the top, which was where I was anticipating larger groups of birds being. We didn't want to come into that area with him with a you know, a, a, a wind at his back. And so right. we kind of hooked around the private went up and over the ridge, which was additional elevation gain and additional steps. But we talked about it on the way. I'm like, I want to get over the top and I want to work this whole top coming with a, with the wind where he's got it at advantage the whole entire time. And as soon as we did that, like, you know, his, his cast changed a little bit. And I mean, it wasn't long and we were into some, we were into some birds. And from there, it was just like I explained, you know, he did the whole, you know, swing off to the side and, you can kind of watch, I call it a shark fin, you know, that setter tail with the long hair and he goes over the hill and you can't see his body, but I can mm-hmm. still see that tail and the, the shark fins going away. And all of a sudden, you know, at the top of the hill, you'll see it turn. And when you see it turn hard, then I start paying attention. I'm not really looking at the GPS much unless he's completely out of sight and right. turned hard into it, ended up pointing by a fence, which was a dividing line between some public and private but it's all huntable so we got to the fence nick and i you know anticipating what was going on there was a nice little step out in front of him or like a bowl that had good snowberries navigated crossing the fence with him still on point nick and i scurry under safely you know (laughs) trying to contain your excitement yeah fitz works through the fence and i'm encouraging him you know like with my body language and we can talk about this a little bit too but like i don't want him to stop until he knows he has the birds and if he looks like he's not serious to me like i'm reading his body language if he's flagging a little bit or if he turns his head and looks at me or if i i'm just looking at him and i don't think he's got him a lot of times i just stand in one spot and let him stand that's kind of his cue to move yeah well not even his cue to move but i don't want to go in and start flushing unless i think he's got him. if he's you know? not sure yeah, yeah yeah so it's like this conversation we're having without saying anything i'm reading him you know, you're in the mix too. And so you and I are having a little conversation about like, okay, you go high, I'm going to swing around to his left. And while we're talking about that, he maybe reload continues to pace in, but he set up pretty well there and we got in front of him. You were a touch higher than me. I was a little bit lower in that bowl because of the thick cover. And uh, we actually got past him, you know, so now we're in a full on flushing attempt. Legitimately. Yeah. Flushing attempt. Yep. And I'm expecting him to stand, you know, um because we've moved past them and so we get past them like that 20 yards or so and i kind of i'm still want to cue in on what he's telling me and so we were trying to flush a little bit you were a touch higher than me and made like what i would call your primary flush attempt you know we were maybe 30 yards past him and i kind of look back at him and he's wanting to let go i can tell by his body language so i stop and i know you kept walking no big deal you know, I'm not going to woe him at this point. He's telling me I want to move up. So I just stop myself and he moves up and he starts to swing to the right of you. Like he's moving up straight into the wind and then bang, he turns hard right and sets up. And that's when, right when I said to you, I'm like, 
Nick, go right. And just then, you know, the birds explode right in front of you. I turned right and birds were got up right off my nose. Yeah. But man, like for me, just watching that and then, I don't know, I'm never in a rush to shoot. I think maybe that's just experience or whatever, but I kind of stood there and watched the birds go. And I think, yeah, you they were kind of going left to right and you shot and you definitely hit one of the birds and it was kind of falling but it didn't crumple. It kind of fell and was kind of going tapering down well, slowly. The first the first contact we had, you told me to turn right and I turned right and a bird got up right in front of me straight away. That one I did drop okay. like yeah. p- pretty quickly. But th- you didn't have a shot at those, so you weren't even feeling the pressure to shoot. Yeah. But then a- after that initial volley, I shot once. Then more birds started getting up in front of you. Yep. And then you got a, you got a shot. Yeah, a bird, a second group got up you know, right in the same area with Fitz kind of standing off to the right of Nick. Nick had not dropped the bird. Two or three birds get up and offer me a real, Nick is to my right. And so for the birds to get up and go right to left is a no brainer, you know, and just pull up pow. And yeah, we had two birds right there looking at each yeah. other like Cheshire cats, you know, because that. <laughs> it was a long lead up to that first contact. And then there we are standing up on top of the hill and we both got a bird. We're feeling, again, that feeling of like, hey, this was this is worth it. Yep. You know, we don't need anything else to happen at this point. Yep. So yeah, that whole thing of from the time Fitzy was reeling in the scent to where the birds actually flushed is probably, you know, 150 yards or something like that. And it was a way. Yeah, yeah. With a, you know, you cross the fence, you, you watch the dog, he reels it in. And it just is, like I said, it's, that's what you do it for, you know, and man, it felt good. So both big smiles on her faces, you know, a couple Took some photos. Yep, a little bit of time there, let them cool down and uh, said, okay, we'll make a U on top because now we're getting further and further away from the truck and there was plenty of ground to cover. So we're like, okay, yeah, we'll do a Start our way back. Yeah, we'll do like a U shape on top. And I don't know, it wasn't too terribly long, maybe seven, eight minutes later. He's on a big cast to our left and he actually went up and over out of sight. And I, yeah. and, and those hills, are, I mean, it's a big rounded hill up, up and over out of mm-hmm. sight. You and I are real close to each other and just something about his pace or whatever. I'm like, oh, you know, I think he's on birds and we maybe internally, I don't think I said anything, but kind of turned to go right at him and come up over the rise. And there he was, that was the edge of the world point, Nick, right? Yeah. He's like, yes, there's an obvious crest of the hill that below him, it falls off to the North and West and it goes for. 10 miles you know you can just see rolling prairie mixed with some grain fields as far as you can see looking north and west and he's pointed right I don't know, at yeah, us 150 yards from us but like looking right back at us and so nothing but like a big flat sky behind him yep. yeah man that was a pretty sight so that was super cool and it's evening there was like it was a cloudy all day but at that point the clouds broke a little bit so there was like golden sunlight i mean <laughs> you could yeah, it was it was what you want to see out there. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those things that gets burned in your mind, and it's hard yes. it's hard to remember them all when when you've seen a lot of points. And but uh, it looked it looked the way you want it to look in your mind. If you get old and gray, and you want to remember what a dog on point looks like, that was a nice one. It's kind of a the romant the romantic side of bird hunting that is hard to articulate, Correct. but everybody that's got a bird dog knows exactly what I'm talking about. So so yeah, Nick and I kind of. And I like to do this when I'm hunting with somebody is like very clear communication, try and be short and yeah. to the point, not like wait until you're in the zone, but like, okay, Nick, 
you go straight to him, you know, go straight to his face. I'm going to stay on your right, I think was the convo. And it's like, and then I'm very intentional when I go to flush, you know, like I'm, I'm on a march. I'm not running, but, you know, I'm not looking at anything else. I'm focusing on two hands on the gun, taking safe steps. We get about halfway to him. He starts showing body language like he wants to move. So we stop. And then he goes to that pacing mode again, head high. And we were literally just having the conversation before this point about like, what do you think's going on with him pacing like that? I remember you asked me that. And I said, well, I just think it's a lot of birds. I think there's a lot of birds around. Yeah, it was it's more than just a single bird. The question was because of wh- where he made first con or first, you know, the first point versus where we eventually flush those birds. It's such a significant distance that I've always wondered this. Like, are those sharp tails running that far? And so that's the question I was asking you. And your your answer was no. You didn't think they were running all that way. It's just that scent is just carrying over the landscape, and the dog is kind of just sorting it out. Is that yeah? correct yeah exactly when he starts to reel in the scent like that either you know the birds do move during the course of the day yeah so they may if they're not flying to go to a specific feed source like a crop field you know they wake up there in the morning from roost they've they've crapped in their roost and there's a lot of scent at a roost site and then if you can imagine them you know just walking around feeding during the day they might cover a couple hundred yards they maybe maybe less than that who knows and all that scent depending on the terrain and the wind, there might be a big pool of scent there that he's working through, you know. And it's not enough for him to set up to be like, oh, man, they're right here. But he knows, you know, a dog that's got experience will know, like, what he's, got what they're smelling, right? Is it right in my face or do I need to keep moving? And so that's yep. what we got to witness on that one. And, yeah, I kind of broke it down a little bit earlier, but paced in and set up again. He actually went past us set up again and there was a little bit of a rise with a rock pile on it yep. and he pointed short of that so we again separated i went to the right a little bit higher you went to the left but kind of right at him and then before we got to him he kind of swung to the left a little more remember that mm-hmm. and i even yep, thought to myself i'm like yep. i'm like oh when you made that move i'm like oh i'm out of the game i said this is nick you know this is the right i'm like this is the nick show here it comes <laughs> and just like that the birds you know came up well within range you know and right in front of me there was three or four of them i that's when i pulled up and i hit one that was the one that i think i think i hit it low yeah and it came down softly but i i had eyes on it and so i dropped that and i was really intensely focusing on that and then you obviously shot which i really didn't see anything happen then i look by this time my bird's down i look over at you and boom, more birds are flushing, boom, you shoot and you drop one. So I know that we've both got one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and we're like, yeah, you know, celebrating. I'm, I'm done. I've got three. And I walk up and I've got a like a hard lock on where my bird went down. And before I get to it, another bird kind of like starts flapping at my feet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's there's two birds up here. Yeah, you because did you shoot too? Because then my <laughs> yeah, my bird got up and and like actually half flushed down towards you, and Fitzy was on it. Was on it. He tackled it, and so I'm like, "Whoa, there's two birds up here." Did you shoot twice? And you're like, "Yeah, I doubled." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" So that was that was it. Yeah, I I got three, and you got two and three, and there we were at literally like the highest point. And that whole time when Fitzy was moving and working, I was on the the lip or the rim. 
and it was that country that just fell away. So it was like seeing all this dog work like way up high and just conditions were perfect. I mean, it was like you'd drive all the way out there just for that one hunt. Yeah, kind of filling up filling up all the pots of senses that you can imagine, the smells, the sights, the sounds. Yep. And yeah, when the shots, you know, in the end of the day, we're killing birds and yep. to have it happen where it's the way you want it to happen and and all the birds, you know, go down right there and yeah, you can enjoy it with a buddy or a friend or spouse or family member. I mean, man, it's hard not to it's hard not to encourage people to go do that kind of trip. It's you know, the the last interview we had talking about the mechanics of hunting out of the truck and being mobile and stuff. And now maybe this is a little more storytelling now, but I real I really feel like it's yeah, there is some romantic to it. You read you can read every book you want, but you owe it to yourself to get out and have a hunt like that because just the opportunity for your dog to to put on a little show and be in a landscape like that is yeah it's it goes beyond i know on the walkout we were talking about it like what is it you know is it the adrenaline rush you know it's it's not it's not the killing of the bird like we talk about it's you know of course we're eating every bird and we appreciate the meals and stuff like that but you put the whole package of that hunt together and yeah it's it's the rush of the excitement, the peak of the excitement, but the lead up with the dog work and like the planning and decision making that goes into where you're going. And then when it all comes together, yeah. it's, yeah, it's something else it keeps me yeah. going. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and out there again, it's, it's obvious things, you know, you, you see the dogs a lot more than the grouse woods. And so you can, you see a couple things play out like that. Like those two bird contacts played out over a significant distance and they, and they both ended in, birds flushing and, and shot opportunities, which is what you're after. And yeah, to have that happen that way in that place, that time of day, everything is just, yeah, that was, that was one that I won't soon forget. And we've got, we've definitely got some photos and some good memories of that one, but I'm not afraid to share this too, Nick, or I'm, I shouldn't say not afraid. That's not the right term, but like <laughs> something I thought was really cool is I know you, you and I have common rapport with, you know, you've got a couple boys at home and I do too, and they're a little older and everybody's got their home life and work life and it can get busy. But I know we took a couple moments up there to, to, uh, send some pictures and videos and I, the whole day too, then I think you did some FaceTime, you know, with your kids and, um, share, share the excitement and the hunt. And like when I got home and, you know, Hans of course is 10 and he was asking me up and down about every hunt. And I did, uh, I did appreciate that, how you were taking time to give Hunter a call and do FaceTime with those boys. And, you know, while we're out there doing that stuff and taking our own time, it, right. it's, that was pretty cool for me to see you, see you doing that. I know it's easy to get caught up. And and uh, I'm not the best at communicating all the time with, with my wife when I'm gone. I mean, s- several check-ins, and she's okay with that. But, uh, but, yeah, the connection beyond the folks that are there hunting and kind of sharing the excitement and the success is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, three of us out there, you, me and Garrett, we've all got got two kids at home. And I felt like we were all kind of taking cues off each other this year and and doing some of the FaceTime when we had our downtime. And yeah, it was cool. And that's just kind of the evolving life, if you will, as we're still really lucky to get out and go do these trips. And I, man, that was like, so we were done hunting lat you know, we're on top of the mountain. We had a long walk out, but you couldn't have asked for a beautiful more beautiful evening to walk down the mountain and we hit that two track. And I mean, we were a long ways from the truck by that point, but it was, 
that was like just a super enjoyable walk out and mm-hmm. you, know, you get back and drop the tailgate and we were we were thirsty for one or two and mm-hmm. it was just we sat, we sat remember we sat there on the tailgate kind of breaking it down and and coming down off that high and we were there for a good 20 30 minutes and all of a sudden we had more sharp tails coming in flying in behind us you caught them over my shoulder and they came in and landed nearby just all this all the sights sounds and smells out there mm-hmm. were happening that evening Yep, it's good stuff. I will say too, I was, you mentioned the cues, taking cues off each other, but I was taking cues from Mike. I was like, man, you know, um, Mike and his wife have a special relationship with the dogs. And, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Mike is kind of fun. We always have this playful banter about like if he sends Amy a picture, his wife a picture of the dogs with success, she's always kind of wondering about the other dog. Like, well, how come that dog, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I think that's, it's fun to have that as part of the trip, the the back and forth with home and family life and a lot of the conversations that you don't have unless you're in the truck with somebody driving around. And yeah, it makes for a good time. I'm glad we did it and had an extended trip. It was fun. Yeah. Well, I know we, we got to let you go. And, you know, that was, like you said, that was like, that was kind of a, a lot of storytelling and recapping that, which is something that we do often when we're together and after the hunts and it's always, it's always fun to do. And I, you know, I don't know, like, what the listeners might take away from that other than just like a really, really high level of appreciation of, of the kind of hunting opportunity that we had and the dog work we saw and the birds that we saw. Just super, super cool, mm-hmm. um, really enjoyable experience. I don't know if, if you got any other takeaways or anything on your mind. No, I think we didn't even dive into the back end of the shooting slump. We won't mention any names. I know. But, a, but another <laughs> another party of ours and – I mean, another member of the party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another member of the party had similar struggles over the last two days. Yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> we won't mention any. Inexplicably, you won't know. mention any names, Mike. But uh, you'll, <laughs> you'll get over it in the grouse woods. But uh, yeah, just thinking about your show and kind of the direction you've gone with, you know, the, the gun world and the dog world and hunting combined, and um, I think you know, hitting all those high points. I, I mean, I, I know I enjoy listening when, when you're able to personalize stuff. And so to talk about that arc of, you know, anticipation on the beginning of a hunt and then figuring out some patterns and then kind of settling into a groove and, um, and then overcoming some of the shooting struggles, getting good dog work, and then, uh, you know, seeing it all come together. And then maybe, you know, you learn a little bit every time. And that's my goal. And yeah. If anything, you learn that, you know, the birds aren't flying nearly as fast as you think in your mind, and Mm, they're usually not getting that far away that fast, and that you have plenty of time to shoot is what has served me well over the years is I'm not as good a shot in the grouse woods, probably because I don't shoot as quick. I'll notice that with other folks that I'm usually not the first one to shoot, but it hasn't affected the fact that when I pull the trigger, the birds seem to go down, even though they feel like they're getting further out, but just to circle back about the shooting stuff. Like I think that was one thing I was thinking about trying to share is like, take your time and shoot, you know, (laughs) be intentional about shooting. But like, if your first instinct is to not shoot, that's fine. Cause a lot of times you get staggered flushes, but when you decide to shoot, just, there's no need to rush out there. That's for sure. So that's all I got, bud, man. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Uh, Easy to recap those hunts. It's, good uh feels good for the soul right now even and it's only been you know a week since we've been out there so yeah yeah absolutely so we got a couple warm days 
right now, 70s yesterday, 70s today, and the temps are going to drop tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you got some grouse woods in your future? Yeah, I think so. I'm not, generally speaking, not hitting it too hard until, I mean, we definitely get out for daily. I mean, I got to exercise the dogs. They stay in shape right. no matter what. So, but a lot of the hunts this time of year are, you know, what I'd call token hunts, walking trails with 30 or 40 minute walk, maybe with both the dogs down. But, um, yeah, I had the, had the boys or, uh, my younger boy out last night and just before dark thought I'd get Fitz out for a little release. And he went to pointing and managed to drag my five-year-old through raspberry, blackberry brush and scratch. (laughs) He's got a big scratch (laughs) on his cheek that and of course, never even saw one of the birds that flushed. There was five birds that ended up coming out of there. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll be out. You can count on that, Nick. Yep, I know that. Well, I appreciate your time as always. It was an, it was an awesome hunt out west this year, and I certainly hope we'll be seeing each other in the grouse woods, which I think will will happen this fall. So thanks again for your time on the show, Ted, and at Ted the Surveyor on Instagram. Yeah, I kind follow of along. Revived my post last night actually i sat down and put a few posts together so yeah there's something for people to consume there just instagram's changed a bunch but uh still worth seeing the hunting pics of course that's my favorite part so yeah folks can you put up a nice picture of fitzy on point not from one of our hunts but if uh if folks want to go look at that and and conjure up some visions of some of the hunts we described on this episode of the show that would be a good place but yeah thanks for your time as always man and thanks for joining us on the bird shot podcast all right see you nick thanks for tuning in to another episode of the bird shot podcast presented by onyx hunt final rise and up and gun company don't forget to rate review subscribe and share and if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash bird shot thanks for listening we'll catch you on the next episode of the bird shot podcast Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.